You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Another Zona Monday here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. You can follow our show on Twitter and on Instagram at Locked On PHX Suns, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. But because it is a Monday, I'm joined today as well by Brandon. You know him as Zona on Twitter. You can follow him at AZ Sports Zone. And Brandon, I'm giving you the floor right here. We're recording before the Celtics game. Uh, because of the busyness of the day with the Super Bowl. I will be at this Celtics game. I will be recording a segment to recap it. But before we even say a word about anything else, you need to give us your on-the-record prediction for this and the Super Bowl so then by the time our listeners hear this, they can laugh at you. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Um, good to be back. And I'm going to just go on the record and say uh, I think the Suns pull out a win over the Celtics. And... Uh, for the Super Bowl, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs, like... I uh, thought you were going to go double upset. Uh, nah. I, I think So I'll throw this out there to be a little bold. I think the Chiefs are just going to destroy Tampa Bay. I don't think it's going to be close. So this could look really... I could look really smart or just extremely <laughs> dumb. So you're going to have to, uh, when you record after, you know, try to help me help me out a little bit here. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make it sound like you had, you know, at least some some uh, grounding in reality if it doesn't come to pass. But I think you're I actually think the the Celtics game, um, I'm optimistic. I think it'll be a fun one. We'll have thoughts on that to close the show. But what we're talking about today is um, a little bit, not so much recapping the Pistons game, but diving into Monty Williams' decision to go small or go big um, against Detroit after the way that Detroit beat them up with their size in the first matchup on the road. It resulted in a 109-92 win. We'll get into whether it was the size that actually did that, if it's something that really works for this team or not, and, and why Monty seems to be so uh, fixated on it sometimes. And then we'll, we'll also hit on kind of along the same lines. I think there's been a lot of fans clamoring while Dario's been out to see more of the rookie Jalen Smith. We'll talk about why you know he hasn't played what we've seen in this, the stints that he has been on the floor, and then especially in the context of the other guys who got drafted around him, just whether that decision looks good in hindsight. Uh, so that'll be the next segment. But let's start with that Detroit game, Brandon. Uh, we saw Frank Kaminsky start at, I guess, the four. I really think it was more of two fives. And ended up with a victory over the Pistons. Jeremy Grant goes seven of 16. The Pistons just really played bad offense. I mean, they had a 92.7 offensive rating and only scored 92 points, shot 37% from the field. What did you make of the game, and do you feel like that that starting lineup change by Monty affected the overall result of the game? Yeah, I think uh, that win had more to do with Detroit being very bad than it did the Suns being like very good. Um, and yeah. to give them credit, they didn't have a lot yeah, of Yeah, Rose and Ellington both out, and that's like a pretty big chunk of their backcourt, so... Um, Honestly, I, I wasn't that impressed with that win. Like, it, I mean, it was like they did what they were supposed to do, and they closed it out. But it was pretty sloppy, like for the fo- like first uh, thirty six minutes or so. But overall, like just adding Frank to the lineup 
as a temporary thing is fine against teams like that, I think. Um, obviously, it'd probably be Dario or Jay Crowder, like, if they're healthy. Uh, I know a lot of Suns Twitter, like, freaked out over the quote Monty had. Do you think so? Do you think if Crowder was healthy, it would have been him? Because I feel like Monty doesn't think of him as, like, giving them the size that they need. Like, when he wants to go to more physical and and just big lineups like he doesn't seem to think of Crowder that way even though I kind of feel like he is a prototypical four like he is the size you need but I doesn't seem like Monty thinks that yeah specifically against Detroit I think they probably would have started Dario yeah um for that reason but like I I think Jay should be a starting four Mm -hmm. for many reasons um he can guard bigger wings you know you can put him on fours and I hope that quote was just like taken as him expecting Crowder to miss some time and maybe just being more matchup based. Um, so there's a lot of context and like that you have to factor in, but you know, it's, I hope that it's not going to be an eight in Kaminsky's iron front court for, for too long. Well, I was looking, it's funny because I wrote about Booker's shooting this, this weekend. And I went back and listened to a, like a one-on-one. It was just Gina Mizell and I after practice one day in the middle of that stretch he had last December, January, where he scored 30 in like five straight games. It was after the fourth one before the fifth one. And it was actually coincidentally right around the same time as the Aiton and Baines lineup had been um, tried out. And it, you know, I think it lasted maybe two or three games before Monty went away with it, which I think probably shows that he doesn't think of that as a necessarily like permanent sort of thing here either or in terms of how he wants to to build the the system out but it was funny just to hear Booker I asked him at that time like is that something you guys have really ever worked on or like were you surprised and he was like you know that's the NBA the coaching staff's gonna make decisions uh which means no I did not think that was gonna happen and I don't think it's a good idea um was was what Booker I think was was getting at there but what's funny is that Monty doesn't seem to care about that and is going to do it anyway. Um, but when you look at the numbers, like they let Detroit shoot 55% at the rim. They only, they did get to the rim quite a bit, 39% of their shots. This is all from cleaning the glass, but it didn't really end up making a difference. So I don't know if this game, like you said, is the best thing to pull observations from and, and really make you know, proclamations about if this works or doesn't work or if Frank is the right guy for it or not or any of that stuff. Well, my question is for you is, do you feel like this is in part Monty sort of sending a statement to Aiton in some way where he's basically trying to kind of show him like, you know, we maybe should be able to handle this when, when guys are out, but we can't right now in part because of us not being able to control the paint as well as we need to. Uh, not really. I think it's okay. more of just an indication of like the, the rest of the team. Like, you know, when, when it's DeAndre in the wings, like they can't grab a rebound unless it's Aiton. And sometimes he gets switched out on the perimeter and he's not always going to be there. So I think it's more of a knock on like just the team itself because I mean, you know, Cam and Mikel haven't really stepped up on the boards and it's, you see it like they just get killed on second chance opportunities and like sometimes it is a but for the most part you can't just rely on one guy um to secure rebounds so as good as he's been on that end you know i just think and that is one thing kelly gave them that they're that they miss for sure yeah definitely so um 
you know, and Aiton and Frank were a negative on the court together, and they won by 17 points. So, you know, I think they're just at their best when they play, you know, Aiton with the two wings. It's just you look at the bubble, you look at just all their successful stretches. That's what it's been predicated by. So I don't think it's smart to go away from that unless if it's just matchup-based and it's, like, something temporary, then, you know, I can understand that. But um, long-term, team-building-wise, I think they just need to realize that they're going to have to figure it out with that. Uh, with that group and um, well and to your point I think Cam like Monty said about Cam Johnson that he was asked just you know the shot's not falling like what types of things do you want to see from him or how do you sort of maybe help him out I personally don't feel like there's much that the coaching staff needs to do to get Cam back in at least like strategically or schematically to get Cam back in rhythm I think he's getting open shots I think he's getting in rhythm shots I think they're you know finding him when they need to he's just not making them he was one of three from three didn't take as many threes maybe that's a good sign that he was able to score 14 against Detroit without having to you know go crazy from three but I think that might be one of the guys that we're seeing like if there is any sort of statement within this toward a specific player, like you said, Cam, what Monty said is that he wanted to see Cam impact the game in other ways. And I think, like you said, that could be rebounding yeah. or, or just using the this, this size. Like if you're going to be a starting four or at least like a closing four, a big part of our rotation in that front court, you need to be able to do more and still, you know, be a part of this group that's impactful and positively, you know, impacting winning without your three falling. Like you just need to find other ways. So he would, I guess, maybe be more so than eight. And I promise it was not a knock on eight. And I, I really just was trying to think <laughs> like what maybe the the subtle part of, of why Monty does this. Cause I agree, like he's not going to stick with it. So it's funny that he, he does it here and there. Yeah. And I have a stat for you. I'm probably going to butcher this name um, from Twitter is from Dom Tess. Tesoriero. Um, last season, Aiton with a big next to him was minus 4.4. And last season, as a sole big, he was plus 9.2. Damn. So, oh, my God. Yeah. As he said in his tweet, this isn't complicated. No, it's not. And like you said, the bubble showed us that it can work and will work and, and whatnot. And I think Monty knows that. So, um, I, you know, more than anything, probably, like, they said from the jump in this season that it was going to be about doing whatever it took to win every single game. And maybe that's all we should think about this as is they knew they couldn't afford to drop another game to an awful team. And so if it took a weird lineup change that threw everyone off, like so be it. They won and we'll move on from there. I don't imagine, um, don't have the starting lineups yet, but I don't imagine that we will see that in against Boston with how small and versatile they play. So probably just a one-off thing, but worth looking at. And it'll probably happen again more often, especially when Dario comes back. So we'll have to keep an eye on it. But let's move on, talk about another member of this front court, Jalen Smith, the rookie, the 10th overall pick, and how he's fared, how others around him in this draft class have fared. But before that, a quick break to tell you about the first sponsor of our show, which is 1010. You may have read about 1010 in the New York Times, InStyle Magazine, or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you more about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring, and they're available now exclusively at BlueNile.com. 
And when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of those 10 modern designers who work exclusively with those sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or are just looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you are definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. All right, back here talking the 2020 draft, which feels like it was a long time ago. It feels like the Chris Paul trade was a long time ago too, Brandon, but it wasn't. Uh, we, we are just a couple months removed from the draft, and I think that honestly explains a lot of what we're seeing here with Jalen Smith in this draft class. I wanted to also remind the listeners, check out Locked On Today. It's a great show. Peter Bukowski hosts, gives you everything you need to know about the sports world in under 20 minutes. You might think that's not possible, but he does an amazing job. Scores, big plays, local perspectives from all of our hosts, and the cue of the day, the debate you need to get in on before you start your morning. It's all right there with you at Locked On Today. But let's let's jump into the draft, Brandon. Um, just let me hear from you. What have you thought of Smith? We haven't seen him in a while. He had the COVID situation actually before the rest of the team did, so he missed quite a bit of time. But we have seen him in stints. How have those moments kind of stuck with you, or, or what have you made of them? Um, there's not really been a lot to like take out of what he's done so far because they've been like garbage time minutes or just very spotty minutes. So um, there's nothing to like really draw any like damning conclusions one way or the other with him um seems like he can hit a corner three yeah (laughs) there's that Um, and you know covid like can definitely this is like a tough time to be a rookie like you know entering the league with covid and then uh don't really get a training camp full preseason or anything like that so i still um want to disclaim everything with just saying this is the jury is still very much out on him and i i hope you know, he, he puts it together uh, some more consistent stretches. But right now it's just a little concerning that he's not cracking the rotation over Damian Jones. Um, Damian Jones and, is yeah. – uh, I, I, I thought that John Hollinger tweeted back when they signed him that he didn't even, like, include Jones in many of his preseason – or his free agency, uh, you know, formulas or – where he was grading how guys might perform this season and what they might be worth, all that stuff, because he didn't expect him to be in the NBA. I was like, that's kind of harsh. Like, the guy's been in the NBA forever. No, I think John Hollinger was right. Um, that's why he yep. was a former general manager and I was not. He Jones has been really rough. I agree with you. I think that Smith, at the very least, could be doing what, what Jones is doing. But at the same time, Dwayne Rankin mentioned on the show on our Friday episode, which people should go check out. We did it. We had a long conversation about just kind of where things stand with the team right now. He mentioned that, you know, the, the guys that Monty, the coaching tree, so to speak, that Monty comes from mostly the, the Spurs, the pop, a a disciple of that sort of philosophy. And one of the things about pop is he's not going to play rookies. And I think, or or not, not going to, but you're going to have to really earn your way in. And I think that's what we've seen with Monty a lot of the time, like think back to Ty Jerome last year, who I actually think was planning to be part of the rotation and then just injuries and everything else kind of kind of hurt him there. But 
Monty's going to make you earn your way in if you're a rookie. And I just think that Monty flat out doesn't think that Smith is is ready. He's been really sort of open about that, like the the speed of the game, the system on both ends. Like he just doesn't think that he's had the proper time to learn that stuff. So I guess that does speak to what you said, which is just this is a, a nightmare of a season to to be a rookie. Yeah, and like the thing is if I could understand it if like Damian Jones is like killing it and it's like, okay, we can't we can't play this guy. But like what do you have to lose at this point? Like I I just want to see more six minutes and uh, he's he was a sophomore, so it's not like you're drafting a, a freshman that's just not ready to play at all. Yeah. Like you just gotta kinda let him like go through those growing pains because right now they're not really you know, especially with Dario out, you're just not getting like a ton of production. Um, if, especially if you're moving Frank to the starting lineup, you just really have a very thin front court depth. So this is a perfect time for him to get those reps. And, and you know he's going to bring uh, energy. That's the other thing. Yeah. Like there's been so many games where they're just not playing with energy or any sort of sense of purpose. It's like at least throw him out there and say like play hard as hell and like just make something happen. And if he screws up in the process, like okay, well Damian Jones is going to screw up not playing hard. So <laughs> I, I just. I, I don't I don't get it, but it's not so much about Smith, right? It's also about the guys that are playing well that have adjusted right away, and I guess the the sort of sense of what could have been that I'm sure Suns fans are feeling, which is very familiar for for us here in the Valley with regard to the NBA draft, but particularly after a night where Halliburton Tyrese Halliburton scores 23 points in 35 minutes, still for some odd reason coming off the bench behind Marvin Bagley. Uh, in Sacramento, but they beat the Denver Nuggets, even though Nikola Jokic scored 50 in an awesome game that maybe nobody saw because it was in the middle of a Saturday. But man, does it look like Tyrese is at, I mean, maybe the rookie of the year, maybe LaMelo Ball is kind of right there with him. But for a guy who went where he did after the Suns picked that, that clearly could use a guy like him after, you know, 12 other teams, it's pretty Pretty painful to watch him set the world on fire right now in, in Sacramento. Yeah, and this is different than like the whole Brandon Clark thing and all that. He was picked like 10 picks, you know, 12 picks later. Like this is, you know, Devin Vassell and Tyrese Halliburton going 11 and 12, like right after the Suns reached was pretty, it's still shocking to me. And um, especially Halliburton, he seems like a James Jones guy. So I'm just like still trying to wrap my head around that a little bit. Um but yeah, he's he's been making a ton of winning plays for the Kings, and he's like pretty much the main reason they're eleven and eleven right now, and exceeding expectations a little bit. So, like him and Lamelo Ball right now are probably like co rookie of the years. Um, and then Devin Vassell, honestly, he's been playing like you like fans will just like see his points per game and just kind of brush it off. But he's been awesome. Like he literally looks exactly how Mikael did, I think, his rookie mm-hmm. year, where like the points per game aren't gonna jump off the page or anything but like he's just making like I think he had four stocks in like 14 minutes yesterday and he's just carving out a role on a team that has a million wings so it just and it's Popovich like you said like you have to earn your minutes there as a rookie so it pretty much tells you everything you need to know about Vassell as well so well tell me this so I have a question for you on both of these guys because you're usually more deep into the draft stuff even than me um now that we've seen Halliburton's three-point shot translate, he's shooting 43% from deep, and that was a question. You said he was like a James Jones guy. I think in every way, 
but the jump shot, I agree. Not that the numbers didn't show it, but there were obviously questions about that that set shot that he has and the the length of time it takes to get it off sometimes or just could he get it off in in motion off uh, off the bounce if he is playing off the ball could he you know run off screens like how are you going to use him and was that shot going to be good enough versatile enough to make it do you feel like that question's been answered do you feel like he's shown that it didn't matter that that question was not even valid like the shot is the, I think the one thing that maybe I could see the Suns passing on him for but do you feel like that's reasonable now that we've seen it um so yes and no like I think the main concern a lot of people had with him was like off like just off the dribble shooting and creating for himself which he has done like occasionally but still for the most part a lot of his like it's just been catch and shoots in the corner or you know just playing off of Fox just as a secondary guy and I think that was the biggest disconnect with like a lot of you know Halliburton skeptics I would say is like they didn't want him in a situation where he was like the main creator and he wound up in a like perfect situation in Sacramento where he can play off of Fox and and healed and uh, run up and down play in transition where he thrives so I think you know Phoenix would have been another great fit obviously with uh, playing alongside Booker or Paul and yeah so I think just the the catch and shoot stuff was always going to be there with him like I always bought that but he's shown a couple flashes where he can shoot off the dribble, and uh, that's, you know, definitely raises his ceiling a little bit, I think. And uh, he's just going to be someone that's going to be like a really good like role player for a long time. And getting that value at number 12 for the Kings is, you know, pretty ideal. The other thing about him that I think maybe he wouldn't have had as immediate of success. I think he still would have been impactful and fit and been found ways to be effective just with how smart and cerebral of a player he is, is like we've seen the Suns play dramatically slower. If they had Ricky Rubio, man, I think it would have been perfect for him to be a backup to how Rubio played. They're very sort of similar players like that. But with Paul and the way that they've slowed things down, like maybe there was some hesitancy to it might hurt Tyrese's development if you try to put him as like a square peg in a round hole type of thing but yeah he, he's in a perfect situation I honestly am fine with it from the Kings perspective they need something fun and they were on the verge of another lost season and I'm glad that he and some other guys have kind of saved it for him but with Vassell if this is going to sound ridiculous but I actually think there's some merit to considering the question which is Vassell you mentioned Mikhail like how similar they are stylistically the way they can impact the game without even having the ball ever and still, you know, be a, a big part of winning. But like, do you ever do, do you feel like there's any merit to the fact that like you look at this roster and it's pretty obvious to me, Mikhail's going to be probably playing in the playoffs like 40 minutes a night and with how much he's going to have to do defensively on on the opposing team's best player and how important he's becoming offensively and, and everything else. Like, is it possible that they just looked at that and they were like, well, we don't need another guy like that. Like they have Cam, who's a little bit of a different type of a wing forward. Now Crowder, who is even yet still another different sort of option. I know it might sound ridiculous with how many wings there are in the league and how valuable that position is. But there also have been times when you looked at this team and you're like, they actually do need like a energy, athletic sort of, at least vertically athletic four five combo guy who can space the floor which is what Jalen Smith like in an ideal world can become I guess I can see it if you start to think about it that way is there 
Is that a valid perspective or do you think just draft wings anytime you can? Yeah, like it makes sense if you're drafting for for need, um, but I'm still going to take it personally. Um, like I, I think, you know, finding a wing like Vassell is so much more difficult than it is to find a big that can space the floor a little bit. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just don't agree with drafting for need in general. Sure. So. Well, and the yeah, other thing like is, I, yeah, go for it. Oh, and I was just going to say, I get it. Like I, they, you know, Jalen fit what they thought they they were going to need, like filling out this roster going forward. And, you know, Vassell might've been a little bit redundant in some ways with Cam and Mikel, but at the same time, you know, we've already seen stretches where they're relying heavily on Abdel Nader and, and, uh, you know, you, you can plug Vassell in those minutes. And even with like point book, you could find a way to make them like all of them play together. I agree. I mean, I don't think that's where I, where I land as anyone who listened to us on draft night would know. Like I, I thought the pick was a mistake just at 10 and, and with what else was available there as we're talking about now, Vassell and Halliburton being two of the big ones. Even Kyra Lewis, who isn't playing a ton, but has looked like he, I think he had a double-digit assist night and his quickness and, and just smarts have already shown up for the Pelicans, even if he doesn't have a legitimate role and he probably needs to adjust physically to the game. So I don't think it was the right thing. I think... The way that Smith is, is limited in terms of his mobility, his ball skills, which actually in the preseason looked fine. I, you know, a lot of it is also just we don't, we don't exactly know how he'll translate without seeing him more. But I, I think that's probably not the right way to look at it either. And at the same time, I, I think it, it also just kind of goes back to probably the, the main and maybe the only knock that I would put on James Jones so far as a GM is just not not valuing value as funny as that sounds but like he doesn't he probably just doesn't straight up doesn't care that Devin Vassell would have had more trade value or would have had more like admirers around the league in the event of a potential trade or or something like that it it doesn't matter to him I don't think and so he looked at it and whether you want to say drafting for need or just whatever you want to call it. Like he just saw Smith as somebody who fit better with what they wanted to do. And so, you know, value be damned. Yeah. And I, I respect it. Like uh, he, he doesn't care what anyone thinks. He's just going to get his guys both in the draft and free agency. And, you know, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, but um, like, that's why I think just trying to figure out who's going to draft next is going to be interesting just based off his track record. Um, I think now it's going to be a little bit easier now that we have like the Smith pick. It's like, just expect the unexpected and just like look, look for his guys. Um, but yeah, I, I think right now it's looking like a mistake. I, I said that on draft night, it's nothing against Smith. I think he'll be a fine player and he's someone I would have been fine with like in the twenties. Um, yeah, just seeing, I think just those back-to-back picks right after him succeeding on teams and like making winning play after winning play. It's uh, definitely a little frustrating, especially after some of the, the feedback that we got after that episode um, about Smith. And so definitely not a victory lap here. There's a lot of time left and, uh, you know, we both want Smith to succeed. There's nothing like that going on here. So no, I would love um, to see him play well. I, I want to see him more. I mean, I said that. Like, I yeah. I want to see him on the court, and I want to see him doing, like, 
I think it would be totally reasonable that he could outplay what Damian Jones is doing. And maybe on some nights, depending on what the, the need is in the rotation, maybe he could play better than Frank. Like, I know Frank's been doing good stuff lately. I don't think he's like a, a no-brainer NBA rotation player. There's a reason he didn't get an NBA contract, a guaranteed contract this offseason, guys. Like, So I think Smith can even outplay him some nights. I think he should be playing more, and I think they should be valuing they should be prioritizing seeing what they have in him just because it's like, yes, this, this season sucks to be a rookie, but who cares? Like you still, it's still a season of somebody's career. It's still one of four before he needs another contract. So you gotta, you gotta see it at some point. Well, I think we will. Um, but for the, for, in the meantime, it certainly doesn't, doesn't feel great to watch these other guys play as incredibly as they are, um, especially in the case of Tyrese Halliburton, but we'll talk about the Celtics game. I will go solo giving you what you need to know about that one. Um, Thanks to Brandon for joining us today, as always, every single Monday. And uh, we will be back with that Celtics recap right after this. First, a couple minutes to tell you about the sponsors of today's show. Bet Online being the first. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing with baseball not too far behind. Bet Online even covers award shows, TV shows, reality TV, anything you watch, you can bet on. Real-time, updated odds and props give you basically anything you can imagine to put some money on. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, odds, and it's the best way to place your bets. Plus, the best part, free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code locked on. Again, the promo code locked on, all one word, the name of our network to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Second sponsor of today's show is Built Bar, which is the best tasting protein bar ever. I went to the Superstition Mountain Range, Lost Dutchman State Park to scout the area check things out, might be doing a little marriage ceremony there this spring and uh, brought Bilt Bars along with me because, of course, it, it's not a terribly hard hike, but it was a lot of uphill, got me pretty winded, it was pretty cold, it was a weird environment, and I was hungry afterwards. So I brought the mint brownie Bilt Bar, powered that down the minute I got back in the car, tasted amazing, gave me the energy I needed, gave me the protein I needed after that workout, and delicious. Best of all, covered in chocolate, soft, easy to chew. Again, that mint brownie flavor is part of the 12 originals, but you also have new ones like cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake are two of my favorites from the new batch. They're low calorie, low sugar, and high protein no matter which flavor you choose. Taking you through that cookies and cream, it's just 130 calories, really low, but packed with protein, 17 grams of protein with just four grams of sugar. You don't eat the other protein bars that you've tried. I know it. I'm sure you have a box full in your pantry right now that you bought and don't like and don't want to eat and don't feel good about. Built Bar is better. Built Bar will make you crave it even. You'll want to have a Built Bar and you'll want to have uh, the deliciousness that comes with it. No matter if you're a guy who or a girl who likes to work out or just somebody who's health conscious. You want to put the right types of stuff in your body. Built Bar is perfect for anyone. So go to builtbar.com 
right now. Use the promo code Locked On, and you will get 20% off your next order. Again, use the promo code Locked On at checkout for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Brendan Solo here, back for the closing segment of today's show. Coming at you after a 191 Suns victory. If you listen to the beginning of this, Brandon was halfway right. He got the Suns beating the Celtics correct. He did not get the outcome of the Super Bowl correct. A blowout victory by the Bucks after Brandon predicted a blowout victory by the Chiefs. So uh, one for two here today. Uh, but the most important one, of course, being these Phoenix Suns getting a much-needed victory. 13-9 and nine on the season now. And this one... It was sealed by a Cam Johnson corner three off of a Booker gets blitzed on the perimeter, tosses it to Mikhail Bridges at the top of the arc. He gives it to Paul on the wing who gives it to Cam for three. That's one of the big shots here. And then the other one was Booker just rising up on the left elbow, that signature spot for him and nailing another game ceiling shot from that that free throw line area where he hit the Clippers buzzer beater in the bubble and so many before so a lot of good stuff in this one what I really feel like it will be remembered for more than anything is the way that the offense started to look like its old self again I did a video for the locked on NBA network our locked on now uh, promo videos talking a little bit about it and my opinion all these hours later is still the same this offense looked like we are used to seeing it and most impressively it looked that way without the threes going in. They were just 8 of 29. But uh, 25 assists to just 10 turnovers. Two to more than, two and a half to one ratio there. And almost 50% from the field overall. That's the type of thing we came to know this offense for. And a lot of things made that happen. Even with the missed threes. Um, we saw Bridges cutting like like it's 2019 again. We saw Cam Johnson making some shots, making his threes, but also getting into the paint a little bit more. And most importantly, probably to me, we saw Devin Booker going to work in isolation, finding ways to impact the game offensively that weren't just dependent on other players. And we saw him operating with the ball in his hands on uh, on that note. And those are the types of things that we saw time and again from this team in the bubble, in the stretches of last season when they were at their best, maybe those that first week of the season or that stretch in February where they beat the Mavs and the Knicks and the Celtics, those stretches were basically recreated tonight against Boston. And uh, yes, Boston was depleted. No Jalen Brown in this game. We saw Grant Williams get the start. They didn't go double bigs with Tyson Thompson like they have some nights. And some other guys... Um, some other guys out as well, but for the most part, we saw Tatum and, and Kemba Walker not able to get their offense like they're used to. Tatum was 8 of 22. Kemba was 4 of 20. Yes, that's a combined 12 of 42 from the field. A very, very inefficient night for those two. If not for some miracle threes off the bounce, they probably would be in an even deeper hole, losing by much more than nine points. But all things considered, uh, that defense, I, I mean, I give the Suns some credit on defense. We did see Frank Kaminsky start again. They were able to, you know, win the rebounding battle. They were able to have some size in there, dissuade the Celtics from driving with whatever very little talent they had who was capable of that. 
Um, and all things considered, they the Suns held, held them in check. But to me, really, what we're going to remember here is that offense. It's the fact that the Suns were able to recreate so much of what worked last season for them with Chris Paul. They haven't done that really at all. This team, this game rather, was a crawl. 88.3 possessions, 88 possessions for the Celtics and about 86 for the Suns. Um, very, very slow. If you think most NBA data is per 100 possessions, usually that's at this point in 2021, that's actually less possessions than some games have. This one had substantially less. It was a very slow game, as a lot of Suns games have been. So they weren't running. They weren't getting fast break buckets like they were with Ricky Rubio. But still, in the half court, they looked like their their old selves again. And most interestingly, within that, Chris Paul, just two assists tonight. And it very much felt like a departure when you look at it from that perspective. Chris Paul, not on the ball, dominating every possession, controlling every moment of every single part of this game the way that he has for his whole career and has most of this season. It it was a, a changing of the guard a little bit, and we'll see if it continues, but Booker was predominantly the playmaker in this game. Paul would give it to him and let him go to work. Paul got some spot-up threes. He was 0 of 5, but he actually took some catch-and-shoot threes in this game, much like, again, Ricky Rubio would have last season, so... We'll have to see. It's the first time where I felt like we saw the other side of this give and take. I felt like this offense was going to have to make adjustments. We knew they weren't going to play as fast as they did last year. We knew they weren't going to necessarily uh, cut and attack and all the ways that they would get buckets last year. But it's been very, very leaning toward the way that Chris Paul plays. This is the first time where I have felt like we saw it go the other way, even a little bit, with the offense looking more like the vintage, so to speak, Suns offense of, of last season and into 2019. So it's going to be interesting to see how they can keep that up. If they choose to keep that up, it does, to me, seem like the Booker part of this is here to stay. We saw him play with each one more in this game, which is a first. We saw him as really the primary playmaker. We saw Chris Paul start the fourth quarter as another little bit of a difference in the rotation. That's been a, a holdover the past few games, but it, it allows where Paul is is basically the starting point guard. Booker ultimately is acting as the backup point guard, and maybe with campaign out for an extended stretch here, that's what we see. And it worked to perfection tonight. 11 assists, a season high for Devin Booker to go with, with his 18 points and that game-sealing jumper from mid-range. So, a great win, 13-9. and nine. The Suns got another home win that they can be proud of in front of a crowd for the first time, which I will, I'll wait a little while to see what it feels like, and then I'll take you guys inside that experience as well. But the main takeaway tonight, a big win for the Suns, a nice win, 6-4 and four at home now, and things coming together in terms of getting everyone involved, feeling like the system and the scheme and the, the situations that we got so used to seeing last year. So all things considered, positive takeaway there. I will be back with you guys after the Cleveland game on the second night of this back-to-back on Monday night, just after the buzzer sounds. So check those feeds then. Until then, enjoy your Monday and Suns basketball. More Suns basketball is just around the corner.